0: in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to the lord our rock and redeemer glory to jesus christ glory, glory forever i like to begin with that verse from psalm 19 as a reminder that to myself as much as to anyone else that the words that i speak i want those to be pleasing to the lord but often they're quite different from the words that you hear. And sometimes the best homilies that I've heard have been the ones that in some objective way had the least value, but they were valuable because they provoked a series of meditations in my own heart. And so I could come away from that being grateful for this occasion of having been... um, Inspired to these meditations. So my hope in invoking those words is that not only my words, but also your meditations, your responses to my word would be pleasing to him and pursue and work his good purpose in your hearts. During these days I've asked the question what healing is for? And it seems like an obvious, the answer seems obvious, and yet I've tried to indicate there are ways in which it's not so obvious. In fact, there are times when we fear being healed. And I think even as we become clear on what healing is for, that fear can increase. And here we are hearing the gospel where the Lord is telling us that we can expect, if we are his followers, that we're going to suffer. So whatever healing is for, it's not to spare us the cross. It's not to spare us whatever comes to us by virtue of our identification with Christ. Living in this world, the form of the divine life, what form did the divine life take when it entered this world. The only form it could take, it took the form of the Beatitudes and the cross. So whatever healing is for, it's not to spare us the cross. Sometimes, sometimes we're given an illness or a condition, which is our cross, and we serve the Lord and we bear witness to him by carrying it with courage and peace and even joy. But sometimes we need to be healed. We need to have um, our illnesses or weaknesses, our infirmities, the deep wounds. We need to have those healed so that we can carry the cross. Just an example, for those of us who are parents, We sometimes need to be healed of our own wounds, our own selfishness, our own fear, our own whatever, so that we can carry the long cross of parenthood. It's not easy. It's not a walk in the park, even though it may include many beautiful walks in the park. But it brings suffering. And at every stage of parenthood, it brings new and different kinds of suffering. So when we gather for a feast like this and pray for the healing that we need, it may be so that we can be strengthened to do well and to carry well the cross and the love and the sacrifices that he brings to us. We also get a glimpse of the transmission process. Jesus says, if they've done this to me, they will do it to you. Why? Because I am giving you my life. I'm drawing you into my life. I am sending you into the world. I'm leaving you in this world so that what I have been in the world, you can be in the world. So there's that transmission. In the epistle to Timothy, it's even more explicit in the sense of ministry, handing on, but it's the handing on of a cross. What makes bearing the cross bearable? I'm going to take a risk and see if I can get through it. But there was a moment when after suffering the loss of one of my children, we were at the wedding of another, and I was just feeling um, torn because there was the joy of the wedding and then there was the sorrow that Greg would not be there. And I had to keep those so separate. Otherwise, I would have fallen apart and blubbed all the way through. And my... um, my son was the the, the groom's was um, what do they called, best man, and my daughter was the bride's maid of honor, and so they had their toast. and they each, in their own way, recollected and recalled Greg in a way that I couldn't that day. And as Leslie and I were kind of debriefing after the wedding, I was talking about how hard I felt holding it together. And she said, yes, but wasn't it beautiful to see how our children loved each other in the midst of our sorrow, that we could have joy mingled with sorrow. And I realized that the rest of my life, I could never hope again for an unmixed joy, that joy would always be mixed with sorrow. But the beauty, the beauty that's possible is much greater than an unmixed joy. Christians are called to live that. To live that beauty of loving one another in the midst of the sorrows of this life. We come alongside one another. We pray for one another. We, um, we, we, we work for the healing of each other and for helping to carry each other's crosses. But what is beautiful is the love in the midst of the suffering. And that is the thing that the world cannot give. And the only reason Christ can give it is because He as God has taken all the sorrows of the world with him into the grave and he has been raised from the dead. Paul says, my gospel is that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. This is the thing the world cannot give and it hates us for giving it. So what is our healing for? It is for loving in the midst of this world, a world, a veil of tears, a world of sorrow, but living for the beauty of such love. Now as we prepare to receive anointing again for some of us, I just wanted a little appendix as you approach this, how did Jesus heal blind men? What was his method? If you look at the gospel stories of the healing of blind men, they're all different. Sometimes he touches them. Sometimes he speaks a word. Sometimes he asks them to profess their faith. Sometimes he says what do you want from me? Sometimes He'll tell them to be quiet afterward and not spread the the news of what he's done. Sometimes he'll take him outside the village and he'll put mud on his eyes and he'll say, open your eyes and tell me what you see. And the blind man says, oh, I see men as trees walking. And Jesus then touches him and says, now what do you see? Oh, now I see. And he says, don't even go back in the village and then another time, he tells a blind man, here, I'm going to put some mud on your eyes. Now go, wash in the pool of Siloam. And he sends the man away. And the man goes and he washes and he can see. And it causes him all kinds of trouble. Right? We hear this long gospel of the blind man who's then called before the leaders of the Jews, the, the Sanhedrin and the synagogues, the leaders of the synagogues of Jerusalem. And they say, who did this to you? Well, Jesus. And they said, well, we know he can't be a, a man of God. And he said, well, all I know is I can see. Well, what do you think happened? Well, I think he's a prophet at least. Well, who are you to teach us? They couldn't accept this intervention of God in their midst in that form. And so that man became a witness, became a witness to Christ. He's cast out of the synagogue, and Jesus comes and finds him praying in the temple, and he says, do you know me? And he says, I'm the one who healed you. I'm the Messiah. He reveals himself to the man who has become already his witness in the world. My point is that your healing and my healing may not take the same path. The Lord may have to touch us a couple of times. He may have to put mud on our eyes before he brings about our healing. He may have to heal us partly through St. Pantaleon and then maybe another word or another touch. So we come to this anointing surrendering ourselves to his love, to be drawn in to his love, to be taken up into his cross in this world, and to experience the anointing of joy which comes from his resurrection and the beauty of loving one another in our sorrows. Glory to Jesus Christ.